So, Kate, how are you going? Yeah, I, I think I'm okay. This week's been a little bit easier. I feel like I can breathe. But um, last week was, um, yeah, quite crazy. We had a lot on here at the TLN and, um, yeah, there were so many things to do. I felt like I was just jumping from one thing to the next and actually not having a chance to even stop and think about anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I ran those two conferences. So we had the one on the Monday yep. and the one on the Wednesday, the yep. Wednesday one being in Ballarat. So yes. I was up and back from Ballarat a bit. Yeah. I know you were helping me out with those. Yep. And I kind of lost track in what everyone else was doing. Yeah. But I know they weren't sailing really easily either. Yeah. And that was the, thing, the funny thing too is that we had all these fantastic plans in place and, and some of them just didn't quite work out how we thought as well. So um, we had, uh, what is it? So we've got, we've got a few staff that are on leave. That's something yeah. that's also hard, so we're kind of picking up a bit of their roles. But um, was it three nights or four nights last week? We were running sessions, mm. either for the AU or the IU. We had a couple for the AU, a couple for the IU. Um, we had a couple for our CRTPD, um, and also some, I think, a couple of TLN courses. So it wasn't even um, things during the day, but even at night time, having them all set up and them trying to run smoothly. Mm. But then again, there was a few hiccups, which you know created a little bit of chaos. But yeah, it was really busy and how did you finish the week because i was wrecked on friday i remember you were still doing stuff in the office I was, and i sort of picked up my stuff I and my desk was a pile i was trying to yeah. we got, what is it we, we got told nicely to kind of clean up our desks and we can because we had a big week yeah. we said we could go a little bit early which was nice but in but i in one part one part of me was going yep yeah, cool i'd love to walk out the door right now because that sounds amazing leaving here at three but the other part of me was like screaming, going, no, I want to stay here because I have so many things to do for Monday morning that I know that I'm going to take it home on the weekend. And I did. Like I took uh, my my amazing Saturday night was um, doing some admin work mm. for a couple of hours. And so I think by leaving Friday, as good as it was, I wanted to make sure that over the weekend I caught up so that then Monday morning I didn't feel so, yeah, so out of it. This, yeah. is, this is the thing that always worries me when workload builds so much. It's how easily it moves into my private life mm. and my health. I get sick yes. really yep. easily yep. and really I'm quickly yep. um, once once the workload gets a bit out of and control. And we had a couple of long days. Like we were in here was it last Monday at what, 7-ish yeah. to set up before the conference. Yep. So, and yeah, and then we kind of walked out between 4 and 5. So mm. we'd had a couple of really long, big days as well, which was difficult. So after that little bit of a complaint from <laughs> us, I'll say, I'll, I'll say to everybody, thanks for joining us for the Teacher Learning Network podcast. The Teacher Learning Network is a not-for-profit professional development organisation supported by the Australian Education Union's Victoria branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce books, magazines and apps, as well as running face-to-face and online professional development for our member schools. I'm Max Cryrock and with me today, as always, is Kate Chinner. So, Kate, today we're looking at the big question yep. of, of workload. It's funny, isn't it? it? Almost every time we do a podcast, at some point mm-hmm. time becomes the yep. issue yep. of discussion around whether this is something that can actually happen. Yep. So, our big question today is how can I create sustainability in my workload? Um, it's 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 a pressing pressing issue in mm-hmm. education. I think always in education, there's always a big workload. I I feel even just speaking to my friends, but also how I am. It's always there's so many things to do and not enough time, and but also being pulled in lots of different directions. There's not just one clear defined role. Mm. You know, it's reports, it's meeting with parents, it's 
you know, planning. It's but so many bits that, yeah. And I suppose it was a bit like us last week too. You know, we weren't just dragged in one direction with mm. one thing. We had multiple, you know, priorities last week to make sure we fulfilled. So when it came to looking for a reading, the temptation yeah. here is to look at those, you know, those simplistic lists of how to organise yourself better? Top ten. Yeah. yeah. It was really tempting to look at one of those. Yeah. But I've come to the point where I find those sort of things insulting, where there's mm. something about the idea that the fact I'm struggling is somehow a deficit of my own. Yes. That, that I, I have very little patience for that kind of thing yeah. anymore. So instead, what I, what I want to talk about is a book that I'm in the in the course of reading at the moment, which is called Why We Work. Um, it's by Barry Schwartz. He's an um, American psychologist that I really like. He's written another book. It's also really interesting, The Paradox of Choice. But in this book about why we work, um, he talks about creating a, a better workplace culture. Why, um, and, and he proposes that we've done a bad job in constructing work as a society. Yeah. Um, and he regularly cites um, Adam Smith. He's a, um, a, um, a almost like the, the, the parent of modern economic thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's very much of the, I don't know, the, the laissez-faire school of economics. Probably someone with a proper economics degree is going to disagree with my analysis here. But, yep. but in many ways, economic fundamentalists love Adam Smith. Um, and Barry Schwartz talks about how he um, sort of designs his idea around work around his analogy of a pin factory where everybody's got a different role in the factory. Yep. And because they've got a different, highly specialised, highly boring role, mm-hmm. the only uh, real motivation they have to do their role is their pay. Yep. And so his fundamental theory is that unless people were paid, um, and unless they're starving without their pay, then they're not going to work anyway. People are fundamentally lazy is where he comes from, his idea of work from. And so in this book, Barry Schwartz disagrees with that mm, notion mm. and in fact says that people look for meaning through their work. Yeah. Um, and that there's, you know, real pleasure to be gained in work when it's done well. He, he says there's sort of three key aspects to work. There's autonomy, um, so that you have some sense some ability to choose how you execute your work is a really important thing to, yep. to work that, that's meaningful for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a sense of investment in you by your work, that your work is helping you grow and develop as a yep. person. Yep. Um, and that there's a mission in your work, that mm-hmm. what you're doing, you can see the value for humanity yep. in, in your work. Um, and he argues that that doesn't have to always mean everybody needs to have, you know, like professional careers. Yes. Um, besides... Um, some studies done around uh, janitors in hospitals mm-hmm. and how uh, they've constructed and, and made their own meaning out of their work yep. where they, you know, interact with the patients. And then they've sort of, you know, taken the well-being of the patients into their work. And mm. the job descriptions don't Doesn't say anything say that. about no, that. Yeah. No. Um, but that's the way... They want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they that gives their meaning. Yeah, and that, yeah. And, and so there's some really good examples in those studies around the way, you know, you have actually been meaningfully yep. useful um, in, in the work they've done with patients, um, even though that's not in their no, job contract. Yeah, yep. and, and in that he talks about the idea of an incomplete contract, the idea that, 
you know, any job description or any sort of workplace document mm -hmm. by necessity is going to be incomplete. Yep. And the solution to that isn't to constantly try and make it more complete. No. But rather to accept that autonomy ought to be part of your role and, mm -hmm. and trying to make some meaning out of your work is a, is a worthwhile thing. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I, I really like that. I mm. think that, um, to me, that's a big way I talk about my work to myself yes. as well. I, yes. I put a lot of stock in the meaning I draw from it. Yep, yep. I would agree. And I think even just as teachers, you know, they're always wanting to invest more. Like, there's not many teachers that will just roll in, go and teach and walk home. Like, yeah. you know, we seem to always put in way more work. It's because we want to. It's not because mm. we're told to. But mm. we... we we invest ourselves in it. And in a way, it's a bad thing because then we take too much on and mm. we're trying to do too much. But that's kind of, I suppose, innate in all of mm. us, you know. That autonomy argument mm. is quite good in there because um, he actually cites some stuff around teaching yep. and the role of, you know, the, the teaching to the test argument. Yes. Or um, some jurisdictions use a very prescriptive model of curriculum when they see a, I'm putting air quotes up here for, for those <laughs> listening, um, failing school. Yep. Um, some jurisdictions choose to like push a curriculum model so tight that it says on the third Wednesday of term two, mm. you will teach about the number four. Yep. Um, and again, that removes the autonomy mm. from teaching, mm. which stops it being rewarding, yeah. which means people are less likely to give freely of yes. their effort and, and their care mm. in that situation. Exactly, exactly. No, I totally agree with that, yeah. And there's the magic of the teaching yeah. and learning when it's like that as well. Yeah, it's meant to be creative. Yeah. Organic yep. in the needs of the students yeah. as well. Exactly. That extra voice is our guest for yep. today. Who's Kate? That's all right. Kate's the first person to break the no talking until you're introduced rule. <laughs> <laughs> did we tell her the rule though? Did we tell her the rule? I don't think rule? we did. No. I think we said we're having a chat. But I like it though because sometimes we see people like busting to talk. I know. <laughs> but I like that she has. I think it's good. It's good. Start. Yep, perfect. Uh, so that voice was another Kate. Um, it's Kate Aitken. She's an organiser at the AAU, but Kate was a teacher before she started her role there. Welcome, Kate. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Max and Kate, for yeah. having me. I'm sorry I didn't know <laughs> the rules, so I'm happy to wait on the sidelines till my turn. It's such an amazing <laughs> conversation and a really important one yep. that I couldn't help but jump in. No, that you. turn's come now, though, Kate. So if you <laughs> want to talk about your experience just, you know, as, as a teacher, what you yeah. did and, and what your role is now and yeah. how that relates to sort of the, the time issue as well would be yep. fantastic. Okay, so I uh, was a secondary school teacher for over a decade and I taught in a number of schools as well as had a secondment to the department for 12 months working on Koori education, which was amazing, oh, yep. um, and had a range of um, leading teacher positions um, in the schools that I worked in. And it was really funny because I was thinking about a whole range of things as you were both talking um, that triggered my past and my experience. But one of those was about 10 years ago. I thought maybe I've lost my ambition and passion for my job. Yep. But actually what I realised was, was I, I had ambition and passion to have a better work-life balance yep. and that I'd be a better human being for myself mm. and for my family and friends and in my educator role yep. um, and, you know, as helping a school community achieve mm. their goals if I had balance in all those areas. Yep. So it's actually a matter of striving for looking at how do you get that balance. Mm. Um, and I thought it was really... Um, it validated when you talked about the checklists um, that actually there is some things you can do but there's other things that are out of your control yes. and those checklists and things you read online do undermine I think the complexity of 
the night and the nature of our work mm -hmm. um, and what we do. Um, oh, there's so many things I'd like to say. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where to where to jump. But I um uh but uh sorry. In answer to your question, what was happening was um for me and my history was I was an AU member for a long time and then did a lot of work around AU in terms of reps roles and things. And I did that just because it was the right thing to do. And I saw a need and a gap and that. Um, we, we um, the school community, needed a voice yep. um, and my colleagues needed um, some support and some avenues in the things that they did and those sort of roles and avenues of what I did built. Um, and then one of my friends uh, about six years ago said, you know, you really can't impact the type of change that you're talking about um, just from within the classroom. Um, and you probably can't even do it from a leadership position within a school if you're talking about a wider framework and a systemic issue. And workload is a systemic issue. And it's just also a society issue. Like mm. We've got a, um, we call it the intensification of work, mm. especially because of all of the ICT yes. that's happened and that work now bleeds mm. into our um, unpaid time mm. um, and that there is a real passion in what we do and therefore we want to have, um, be really good at what we do um, and therefore we, we tend to take on more and more. But ultimately, with, especially with education, there's so much more you can. There's always more mm. you can do, and the working day would actually never be finished. No. Um, so it's really important that we work out how to put parameters around our work, mm. how to prioritise our work, yep. um, and to do that, it's um, easier to do it together. I think mm. it's easier to actually have the conversations in your workplace yep. um, about what are our priorities, what are our key goals, um, how how are we going to achieve those, what can we do differently. Um, what are we going to sort of keep doing, stop doing and start doing? So, you know, what are some things that um, are working for us yep. and what isn't working and how can we actually support one another um, to change those to change those things? And let's prioritise and focus. And if you want me to do a certain thing, what am I going to do differently or not do yep. or do later on because I can't do all of it? No. Um, so it's And that's, as you've talked about your work, mm. and that's in all of our work. Mm. And I think it makes us better... People um, and we'll have longevity in our in our lives, in our relationships, in our jobs if we can better manage that work-life balance. And I think it's about making the um, uh, invisible visible. So that's really important too. So um, naming it, talking about it, and framing it, and charting where we're going to go and how we're going to get there. Um, is really important. So to draw that back to, I could bang on for the next 45 minutes, so, um, but to draw that back to the original question, um, so the union, um, so I moved from being a teacher to working um, for the Australian Education Union about five years ago, um, and um, the roles that I do have done in that time have been amazing, and the reason I love it is because it supports public education. I think if we... Um, uh, and the values that support public education are about making sure that we've got good working conditions, that we've got healthy workplaces, a good workplace culture, that um, employees have a voice um, within that because, as you've said, having autonomy um, in your role, having some uh, ability to be consulted helps your um, ownership of what you do, helps you have really good morale yourself and with your colleagues, which then means you've got often put in, put in more. Um, you know, in, inside and outside of work as well. So my role is, and our role as a union, is to be able to help um, workplaces be the best that they can be and be really healthy and safe workplaces. And we do that through helping people with the conversations they have, yep. helping people access the resources, um, and also making sure that they've got good paying conditions, um, you know, collectively and individually. 
Um, so yeah, we've got the mechanisms there through um, like in the schools agreement, for instance, and in a number of our um, other workplace agreements, there's excessive and unreasonable work clauses. Um, but from an OHS point of view, you actually need a safe workplace, and that includes your mental health um, and psychological health, as well as a physical injury. So there's a lot of avenues that we can um, look at along the way. So I might pause there because I could keep talking, but yeah. Thanks, Kate. Um, there was a lot there, yeah. um, and I might bring us right back and take us on the journey to sort of where we're ending there, around, because I think we've all sort of said how little relief we found in any of those checklists mm. and things that we tried. But, Kate, what have you tried in your workplace back when, you know, probably when you first started teaching, yep. as, a, as an attempt to put some sort of boundary around your work or, or as, you know, one of the tips that you tried and, mm. and maybe found eventually didn't work for you? No, look, I was probably lucky in my first year my partner he's a teacher as well which is good in so many respects but terrible in so many mm. others um, but he'd actually taught for a couple of years um, before I'd started so but what was interesting is we were living together in this first year and here's me cutting things out oh, yeah. you know yeah. like for my grade and laminating stuff and you know getting very stressed mm. and bringing tubs of work mm. home and he turned to me and he's like you, you can't do this all yeah. the time so in a way, that was kind of a nice reality check, particularly in my first year. But then I think as things build up, like, and you've got work to do, and, and then I suppose, and I moved to a different school, and then as I moved to that school, they obviously saw some qualities in me that then I was heading into leadership stuff, even in my second year. So quickly I was getting out of, right, what do I, how do I teach, mm. and all of those things into the next few things. So mm. I don't know if I ever really had the boundaries, and I'm mm. bad in a way because, again, like, um, I don't know, Max, we've had this discussion many times, but, like, my email goes to my phone and mm. I reply to people and, yeah, I don't know, I don't think I've ever quite put good boundaries in place. Because yeah. I, I, for a long time, was a believer that there was some magical system out yeah, there that I could use I that would know. work for me. Um, I, I, what I relied on for a long time when I was teaching was I, I had this green laminated sheet that had categories, like, things to put in a newsletter, things I had to do, phone calls I had to make. There were like 12 boxes. This is the kind of person I am. And every task, when it came to mind, I'd write it on a sticky note and assign it to one of these areas. And it didn't work as a time management strategy because, you know, eventually <laughs> sticky notes were overwhelming. But the, what did work for me in was I could sit down and go, what do I feel like doing? At mm. least I could go, and I suppose that goes back a little bit to the autonomy argument. Yeah. I could sit down and go, I do not have the energy to talk to anyone on the phone mm. right now, so mm. I can ignore that box entirely. Yes. I'll just look at the I'll look at the newsletter one because I, mm. I, I don't mind typing yep. up some stuff right now. Probably all I could do. Um, Kate Aiken, what did you try when um, you were first teaching? I think... Um, I always give long-winded answers, I'm sorry, but I think it was a couple of years ago I did a presentation with a new educator mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, I wish somebody had told me that 10 years ago mm -hmm. and she was such a savvy new educator and what she said was the list is always very long mm -hmm. um, and you're never going to get it all done, but prioritise and do the thing that's most important first mm -hmm. because otherwise you can get distracted by all these things that you really would 
like to oh, do, yeah. that are fun to do, yeah. and then unfortunately you've still got the most important thing to do, and then yeah. you're doing it after hours, mm. late at night, or very like reports, early. You know, like report time. You know, you yeah. try and do everything else. You know, you've got reports. Yeah. You try and get everything yeah. else you've got done. Got to tidy your storeroom in the world. Clean the house instead of doing reports. You've still got to get those reports done. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, she's she's actually right. Like actually doing that mm. prioritising of. Um, what are the most important mm-hmm. things yeah. and actually putting them front and centre yeah. and doing them first and putting some boundaries around um, I'm a bit meticulous, um, mm. so that can be a big time waster too. Mm. Um, so thinking about, you know, I've got to do it to a – I don't have to do it to a high standard for everything. Mm. Let's just make sure it's, um, you know, to an acceptable level yeah. and mm. done and move on to the next thing. So if those were the things we tried and didn't quite work mm. for us, was there anything that – ever came up for you in teaching that actually did work for you? I'll start with mine because, and it, it branches off a little bit from what you said earlier, Kate, around prioritising. Because mm-hmm. I, I get that as a concept. Mm-hmm. But the problem is um, if you let the time leak out the other end, mm-hmm. it, you can make it down to 900 on the list regardless of how well you prioritised it. So for me, the thing that actually helped me actually get better with time when I was teaching um, was when I first had a baby, and he was a difficult baby. <laughs> um, and so my wife would arrive um, at my service and basically in, in an attempt to make me leave on time. Oh, so she'd be yeah. standing there at the door with the baby looking so tired mm. that it became a habit that I would leave on time, yep. like just all the time. Mm. And so I would compress everything that used to leak out for four or five hours yep. into that one or two hours yes, I yes, had after because, a session yes, yep. so that I was out the door exactly on mm-hmm. time every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got better because of that. I really prioritise, like the prioritising mattered yes. now yes. when before it was something nice to do. Mm-hmm. I just had to, you know. I had to accept not everything was going to be done because it was the only way I was going to walk out on time. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that ever really worked for me was actually leaving on I was going to say, I, I, I'm quite similar, um, Max, is that I think before I had kids mm-hmm. is that I had all this extra time, mm. you know, so teaching kind of became a bit of my life yeah. as well. So you'd still go and do things, but you could while you're sitting on the couch. There was yeah. like, you know, you could from, say, go home early, go, right, I'm going mm-hmm. home early today, but from 4.30 to 8.30, I'm going to have the TV in the background and I'm just going to plot away with my work where, yeah, suddenly when you do get kids, like have kids, mm. suddenly you go, oh, my gosh, this time is precious. Mm. I have to do these things. And so I think I have learnt how to juggle life and how to get those things that I need to get done really quickly. I mean, even last week I had I wasn't actually here working. I had my toddler at home running around the house, but I we had some um, things that had to get done for, for the night. And normally I probably would be here and I'm not saying it would take me a long time, but you kind of get distracted by emails coming in. Mm. And I was like, I've got this toddler. I don't know how long she's going to last running around the house happy. I have to quickly, and I shouldn't have done it when she was around, but I'm like, right, I've just got to, and it was amazing how quickly I managed to get it done and everything to ready for the night, Mm. you know. And Mm. so, yeah, just putting those boundaries on and, and yeah, yeah, giving the time limit, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that's worked for me and is still working for me successfully is is, is really thinking about um, work and what's working and not working mm. for me. So mm-hmm. making that invisible visible yeah. again yeah. because what we've done is we've normalised excessive workloads yeah. 
um, especially in education. Yeah. And we actually don't realise in our settings in early childhood mm. and TAFE and schools and disability services that um, people are working a lot of unpaid, unrecognised hours. Mm. So um, I think our early childhood, uh, a number of years ago, when they did the Leave on Time, Leave it Behind campaign, was a really good one mm. um, and in our schools when we had the 38 hour week um, and making sure that you didn't work outside of that and leaving and that was really hard to tear yourself away from um, the work when there was more to do um, but it is about priorities and knowing that when you get to the uh, if we get old and grey you know you don't think I wish I would have worked harder it's I wish I would have invested more time in uh, my relationships and um, my hobbies and my passions um, I mean obviously work can be one of those as well but I think that's that's working for me, that sort of stuff, and talking about, yeah, um, that and putting boundaries around emails mm. um, because you could actually spend 38 oh. hours a week just on email. Mm-hmm. So it is about saying let's not get distracted by a ping in my inbox mm. and put some time frames around when I'm going to check that yeah. um, and respond to them, respond to that. Is it raising those campaigns the AU ran mm. about workload and um, like, you know, building those for a time around when people would leave, I think made a significant difference. I, I still mm. hear people talk about what they learnt from that time mm. and, and how they still try best mm. they can to mm. emulate that and recapture what they learnt from doing that. Mm. I, I can't, uh, just last week I heard somebody talking about you know, what they learned out of that. Mm. And I remember what a big thing it was at the time because that, was, that happened only shortly after that period I was talking about with my own son. Mm-hmm. So just before that had happened, I'd yeah. gone through a similar thing myself yeah. where I'd gone, oh, yeah, you know, there's always something new to do and, yeah, at some point I've just got to draw a line. Yeah. And I think working collectively, like as you said, Kate, in your office last week when you said everybody mm. go home, so having that, that, you know, we all work very hard. Mm. Um, it's not about, and you can develop a workplace culture where you're saying it's actually healthy mm. and it is appropriate to leave on time. Mm. We all should be mm. aiming to leave mm. on time rather than, you know, it's reasonable for us to arrive at seven and leave at six. Mm. Actually, we're only paid for oh, well, eight hours or seven hours mm. a day yeah. or whatever our working hours are. Let's make sure that we um, try and balance that. There's one other thing you raised much earlier on, Kate, which was, um, what am I going to stop doing? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about this a little bit internally at the TLN, but it's not something I'd come across before that. Mm-hmm. And it seems so obvious as mm-hmm. to be stupid, mm-hmm. but I don't hear people talking about it enough, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like I said, I don't like gimmicks or, you know, big checklist yeah. things because fundamentally it all boils down to there is only so much time if I'm going to add something extra to the time I need to take something else out. Yes, There's yes. no other magical formula at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. Um, so in your work, Kate, you must come across people that need to be talked through that process. Does that happen much? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And we do it with our – we all do it ourselves mm-hmm. as well, I think. Um, yeah, but it is about what are you going to um, stop doing. And it's really hard to say um, to your classroom mm-hmm. or to your employer, actually, I can't fit that in right now Um, and with the new schools agreement um, hopefully about to come into effect shortly I mean they've got some um, change the way they look at work so it's a a 30 plus 8 model um, Mm. which is really exciting because what they're saying is is our core work is actually teaching and learning it Mm. shouldn't be the administration Mm. and all of the work that keeps encroaching on our teaching and learning so 30 hours is dedicated to teaching and learning and teaching and learning type activities and eight hours is administration 
And if it's, if it's admin and it takes more than eight hours, well, I need some reduction on my face-to-face to be able to accommodate uh, that um, excessive work. And it might be having a talk in um, uh, in your sub-branch with your members, your AU sub-branch, um, or um, you know, with your colleagues about how can we have these conversations as a team? Um, what is it that we think we could do differently or stop doing? So then you're not doing it on your own. Yes. Um, and it's and then you're starting to frame the language in, and the conversation around that. Um, and even saying to your, you know, your line manager, um, you know, your team leader, um, look, you, you really want me to do uh, this thing, these reports by that date, um, but you've also asked me to do the OHS modules, or you've also asked me to do EpiPen mm. training, and I've got to do that flyer. Um, which is it that is the priority? Yes. Yep. Um, because that's the thing I'll need to focus on, and the other thing I'll have to wait till next week. Mm. Which again sounds like a really obvious conversation mm. to have, right? But I, I suspect because I know this is what I used to do. If mm. someone would suggest something they think would be worth doing, yeah, and in my head I'd have the calculation. Oh my god, I can't fit that in. No. Yeah. Right, that would be in my head. Yeah, but that wouldn't be what I would say out loud. Yep. I would try and debate the idea yeah. out loud. I would say, oh no, I don't think that's a good idea. And really, what I think I meant was. That's not a better idea than all the other things I have to do. Yeah. But that's not what I said. I said that's not a good idea. So it became a debate about the relative value of the idea mm. in isolation from everything else. Mm. Yep. Because I've, I've noticed only in the last couple of years I've gotten better at that discussion, yeah. which is to often say, yes, you're right, that is a good idea. I don't see how I can fit that in. You know, we can have a discussion about the time, but broadly I agree with you on the notion of that being a good idea yeah. um, because then you stop worrying about the idea and start worrying about how you can fit it in. Yeah. And I'm surprised how in doing that, how often people say, oh, they're firstly thankful that you like the idea yeah. and secondly they're like, oh, no, you don't have time, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it shocks me how, how quickly that whole conversation changes yeah. when you stop worrying about the idea and start explicitly talking about time. Yeah. yeah, And I think thinking about planning is a really important thing, isn't it? So actually stepping back and looking at what are my broader visions and goals mm. um, and does that fit into that? Mm. Um, and if it does, fantastic. Let's work how we can build it in. Yep. But if it doesn't, well, then it goes on the sideline until we've reviewed our, our goals. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, this is another regular theme of ours, which is how often we talk about vision or, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Because when you said earlier priorities, yeah. um, unless you can articulate your vision and what it is you're aiming to do, yeah. it's difficult to set your priorities because what's the number one priority unless you've got something to assess it against? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you can be really clear, I think, about what you want to achieve, yep. you can be clearer about what doesn't help you achieve that and what's going to have to fall off. Yeah, yeah. and I think practising, as you said, it's very hard to say especially in the world of education, Mm. to say no. Mm. So maybe it's easier to say, um, yes, but. Mm. That might be an easy, yes, I can, but I would need to, Mm. um, rather than saying an outright no, because that starts that conversation. And the more you practice having those Mm. conversations, the easier it becomes, Mm. because it's like changing your your habits Mm. and your responses. Mm. And that takes time, Mm. because we're sort of set in how we, um, our patterns of relationships and conversations and how we focus and do Mm. our work. Yeah. I think that's what I've come to. I've come to, yes, I can. Yes, I like your idea, but here, here mm, yeah. is where the challenge is. I think is. I've actually seen you have those, some of those conversations mm. too, which is good, like, which is a good thing to do. Yeah, where I'll, I'll turn around and go, oh, yeah, no problem. And 
then in my head I'm going, oh mm. gosh, what did I do that for? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I need to have that explicit. You know, I'd be happy to help you. Or, yeah, good idea. Mm. But mm. I need a couple of role modelling. I know we don't like role yeah. plays, but sometimes it doesn't hurt it to does. have a role play yeah. with your partner yes. or a work colleague. Mm. Yeah. And actually, let's just do a scenario because it's one thing to think it through in your head. Mm. It's another for the words to come out of your, your mouth and do it in a and, sort of a situation. And to come across the right way. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 Um, I need this in my life as well. I think. Stop taking on things at home as well as, as work. So I've got lots to do. So I want to talk about that then. Um, how do I create sustainability in my workload? And this is part of the reason we were so keen to have you join us yeah. today, Kate. Because I think we're all pretty much in agreement that a handy little checklist of, you know, mm. file everything alphabetically isn't actually no. going to make any substantial difference. So if, if I was working at a school that was, you know, experiencing crushing workloads mm. and it wasn't just something I was feeling, I knew my colleagues were the same, what would be a way forward for me if I wanted mm. to deal with it mm. in, a, in an industrial way? Yep. So I think, um, as, you, as we've talked about, raising it as an issue. Yeah. And um, it doesn't have to be framed in, an, in a negative way. Mm. It can be, um, you know, let's look at our uh, everything that we've got going on and we've only got 38 hours in our paid week. Um, and doing that collectively. So in our schools or in all of our workplaces, there is consultative mechanisms, um, and that's a really good place to raise workload. Um, so it is, is about saying to your colleagues, look, I'm really worried that we've got, you know, 10 priorities this term or this semester. I'm not sure how we're going to fit them in. I'm really worried about our health and wellbeing and the impact on the teaching and learning. That's the thing, as we know from the union surveys we did of schools, um, workload is impacting negatively on teaching and learning. Mm. You know, this impacts on the outcomes for our kids. Mm. Um, so this is really important stuff. It's not whinging. It's really mm. important stuff to get right and talk about. Yeah. Um, so I'd be saying contact your AEU rep at your school um, and hold a meeting to have a conversation about what are the workload pressures. Um, there are no magic bullets. Mm. Every school's workplace um, and workplace will have a different workload pressure. Um, and it's working out how do you manage that and what are the resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know if you have input into your working conditions and um, that means that you're going to be happier in your job, you're going to have more autonomy um, and feel like you've got more control. Yeah. Um, so raising that as an issue on your agenda through consultation. And when you've got a new initiative, even taking the time to um, reflect on that. You know, um, did it fulfil its intended purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it did, fantastic. Are there any unintended consequences? Is there anything further we need to do? Or if there's a new thing coming up, um, how are you going to, how is the school going to introduce it? Um, what resources and supports are there? Because um, often um, we find with a lot of our workplaces, um, you know, there's bigger drivers mm. um, and they don't think about how they're actually going to make sure they achieve that goal, um, that they actually need to stop and talk about, you know, how do we actually make that initiative happen? Um, what are the stages, what are the resources, what are the f- reflections on it? Um, and ring us at the AEU as well, at the Australian Education Union. Um, you can talk to our membership support service about your specific needs, but also how your group of um, employees can work together. Um, we have organisers like myself who can come out um, and assist a group of members to think about the best avenues for um, support. And often that can be industrially, it can be through um, the OHNS Act and the Health and Safety Rep, but often it's about having the conversations and working out the frameworks about um, how do you have the conversations and who do you have them with? Um, because, you know, we've all got bosses have 
priorities too. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about trying to make sure everybody's meeting the, their, their goals along the way. I'm really pleased you raised that way of thinking about it, Kate, because I think with the unions, the most visible time for average members during agreement negotiation periods. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people put a lot of stock in the time that happens around that, thinking, okay, my workload's out of control. Mm -hmm. This agreement needs to fix my workload, mm -hmm. or that's, that's my one shot in the next three to four years. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes if an agreement doesn't, you know, um, positively impact mm. my workload, then I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, I'm mm. sort of out of it. Mm. But that's not the extent of, of, of the way the union can help, is it? There's a workplace level yeah. support as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. What I what I should say too is, is your agreement is only a part of the pie about addressing workload because it does put parameters around your 38 hours of work and your meetings and um, some of the structures around lunch breaks and those sorts of things. But you need to make sure you breathe life into that from your local level and the structures within your local level. But um, also there's some bigger campaigns, especially with education, that um, the, the union um, advocate very strongly for public education through our campaigns like Protect Our Preschools, like the Gonski campaign. And we're also meeting with government ministers and the Department of Education about um, you know funding special needs, students with special needs, or that um, school budgets are not big enough um, to be able to accommodate the needs or that there's not enough resourcing there. Um, so the union works on a number of levels um, and we'd really urge our, um, our members and our potential members to, I know time is an issue, um, but you know we need to think about workload from a systemic, often think about it from a systemic point of view um, as well. So like in um, the media, they would say that um, you know, you'd, you would never blame doctors and nurses specifically for, um, you know, uh, healthcare issues. Would say it's a healthcare crisis. Mm -hmm. I think we need to do the same thing in education. Mm -hmm. It's not um, an individual teacher or teachers. Um, it's actually a systemic issue um, that needs to be addressed with support from, you know, government, um, from the department, from the employer. But uh, we need to work on the ground because, you know, you know your conditions best in your workplace. Mm -hmm you know, where the workload pressures are, that's why it's really important to have the discussion and feed that back. Yeah. I think we'll have to have Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Kate. thank you so that much. That was a pleasure. Thanks, yeah. audience out there. Thanks, Max and Kate. Yeah, really good to be on board. The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face -face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www.tln.org.au. The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation. Schools and early childhood services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in our professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. 
These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.